If you brought a Bible with you, would you uh, open it up to 1 Thessalonians? That's where we're going to be today. Um, we do this every year, uh, a Fall Vision Day, and sometimes we don't even call it that. But the, the goal of it is to really avoid mission creep, to kind of get us back on track with where God is headed, what he's doing. The, the worst fear that I have, it really is as a pastor, is that even if we had momentum, that we would drive a uh, hundred miles past where the Lord said we should turn. That we, just because of our own momentum, would keep going in a direction that the Lord was not leading us in. And so, um, uh, and, and so we want to pause and kind of, you know, check, the, uh, check Google Maps, make sure, okay, Lord, are we following where you are leading us? And we're going to talk about that on a corporate level, but my encouragement is for you on an individual level and on a family level that you would talk about that. What does this really look like? Lord, where are you leading us? Dads, as you lead your home spiritually, where are you leading them? As you're leading your kids, moms and dads, to follow the Lord, where exactly are you leading them? And that's, that's the question. A couple weeks ago, I was out of town uh, serving some church planters, and I came back, and I didn't have a car at the airport. Um, and so I called uh, my good friend Jason. He never has anything to do. Uh, I'm kidding, by the way. This, this guy meets with more people uh, it's, it's unbelievable. I called Jason, hey, can you pick me up at the airport? He did. And so we're just, you know, I hadn't been in the office a week. So we're just like good friends catching up, you know, pushing back the kingdom of darkness, declaring things in that Honda Pilot. Um, and we look up and there was a sign that said, welcome to Texas, um, which is not where we were going. We were trying to go to Benton uh, from the airport. And if you know, that is about 20 miles in the wrong direction. And I get home, and uh, Claire's like, yeah, we were, we were watching on Live 360, and you said you're 15 minutes from home, then 20 minutes from home, then 30 minutes from home. And I was like, where is he going? Is he going back to Dallas? Um, I, I say that just to, <laughs> it's just a funny way to say, listen, this is a real thing, mission creep, that we would move in the wrong direction. And this happens in a sense in our families. Uh, you know, Ashley and I talk about this almost every Sunday night as we just kind of get on the couch, and we're looking forward to the week, and you know, what are our goals? What are we going after? What are we making time for? Where do we feel like we're off? We used to play this game um, when, uh, when I was a youth pastor um, where we would blindfold a few people. Maybe you've seen this game. And we would kind of create a little obstacle course in front of them. And we would blindfold three or four people. And then we would spin them around five or six times. And they had the, the point of the game was the first one to get to the other side through the obstacle course, the fastest would win. But every person had, you know, a team of four or five or six people, and they were all yelling instructions and directions, and it was just this sea of noise. And so when we come to days like this, it's just, you know, what does it mean to really simplify our hearts in a time where we've got voices coming at us from all direction? How do we hear the voice of God? We've had a crazy year. Here personally, you've had a hard year. I've had a hard year. The world has experienced crisis that is unknown to many of us. Churches are closing at an alarming rate. People are leaving year after year. We were already losing a lot of people. I read an article before COVID hit that says they're never coming back. And it was not speaking of the people who had left for COVID. This is pre-COVID. It was speaking about teenagers who grew up in Christian homes and Christian youth groups who walked away because the faith, their faith was never real. And as he worked with Barna and Gallup and some other researchers, I mean, this incredible research project, and they're surveying people, that they predicted that they, we would lose, the church, the Christian church in the West would lose 40 million teenagers now then adults, in the next two decades, in the next 20 years. Losing a generation in a generation. This is not a problem where the church, you know, some people are slipping out the back door. We don't have a bleeding problem. We, have, we, are, we are literally hemorrhaging as the church of Jesus. And then we turn to Ephesians 3, and Paul says that the church, the local church, would be the manifold wisdom of God to the world. The church would be the thing. It would be the vehicle in which God would use the redemptive potential of the local church to spread the gospel to the world. And we look at that promise of God in Ephesians 3 and we look at our current reality and it's just a little bit heartbreaking. 
Even as Jesus says that we're the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth. He says, how, how can salt, once it loses its saltiness, be made salty again? And that's been my prayer. Lord, I feel like the church in the West, that we've lost our saltiness in a flavorless society. We've lost the saltiness, the thing that used to distinguish us, to call us out. How can we be made salty again? And I have great hope this morning, I really do. And it mostly came from this, uh, this uh, letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. I've always grown Thessalonica. If you actually talk to a Greek person, they say Thessaloniki, um, which is just a lot better fun to say. Let's say Thessaloniki. That's just kind of a lot more fun. Paul writes this letter to this church. You go back in Acts 17, he actually planted the church. They ran him out. He had to go. He tried to come back, uh, but it was too dangerous so his team, his team, his evangelistic missionary team of um, Silas and Timothy actually came back, I think, to Berea, somewhere really close to minister to them. Paul did eventually make it back, but he planted this church. He didn't spend much time there. But when you look at Scripture, uh, this is like maybe the one church, maybe other than the church at Antioch, maybe the only other church that we have record of in the New Testament that gets things right. And God was just doing this incredible thing here. And it's this beautiful picture of what the church can be, salt in the midst of this like saltless society. And when I think about vision, what I think about vision for our church, and this is not a vision that we came up with. When we came up with a little mantra, and I think I have it maybe on the screen there, um, that's written at the bottom of your little card, a spirit-led family on mission making disciples. Uh, that little mantra came from uh, this chapter. As you read through it, and you're going to see it today as we're going to talk about it, a spirit-led family on mission, on mission making disciples. This is God's vision for his church, that we would be a spirit-led, faith family, on mission, carrying out the great commission, making disciples of Jesus. This is his vision for his church. So we're not saying anything that's new. We're not inventing something. I don't think any of us in here need any new revelation from God. This is what he has said. He charted the course. We're trying to follow through with that. So we're going to look at these three pictures, the family, the missionary, and the disciple. And you're going to hear from some of our people. They're going to share some kind of testimonies. And then we're going to sing at the end. One of the markers of the early church is that they would sing. They would hear the word read. They would hear the word taught. Then they would take communion, and then they would sing together um, as a faith family. So we're going to do that and sing um, at, the, at the end. These three pictures, let's read the passage if you, uh, if you have your Bible with you. Do you mind standing with me? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. This is God's word. You can be seated. First, let's look at this idea of being spirit-led. And let me just say, it's the spirit-led piece that undergirds all the other pictures. If we're not a spirit-led church, what church in the world are we doing? If the Holy Spirit of God, we talked about him last week, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ that points us back to Jesus again and again, that gives us peace, that gives us comfort, that illuminates the very words of God as we read it, it says of the word, right, that it's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to discern between the soul and the spirit. 
joint and marrow. How in the world does the word of God do that? The Holy Spirit is at work through the word to illuminate these things to us. This is what we see here in verse 5 as you look at this church. As Paul's giving them this sort of uh, commendation. It says in verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in the word... Not the word itself, not just words on a page, but in the power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. This was a spirit-led church. They were spirit-led. They understood the word of God because they let the spirit illuminate the parts of God's word. Listen, if you have a rhythm of reading God's word, and you should. If you have a rhythm of attending a gathering like this and hearing God's word taught, you should. If you have a habit of reading Christ-exalting books on specific topics, I think that's beautiful. I think you should have that habit. But before we encounter any one of those scenarios, we should pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit, and Holy Spirit, would you speak to me today? Would you bring conviction? Would you bring encouragement? Would you rebuke the parts of me that are out of line? We should invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Word of God. This was a spirit-led church. We see the Holy Spirit is working, and I love this too, with full conviction. That doesn't necessarily mean the conviction of sin. Maybe your translation even says with full assurance. These people had been worshiping idols just weeks before. Just months before, Paul comes and plants the church. He preaches the gospel. The Holy Spirit illuminates it. He brings conviction of sin. And now with full assurance... Filled with the Spirit of God, they're understanding the Word of God, and their lives are radically changed. They experience the power of God at work. Look, it even uses that word power in that second phrase, but also in power. When's the last time you saw God work in power in your midst? And this, is, this word power here is not the word that we would normally use for these miraculous signs, although this certainly is miraculous in itself. He's speaking of the power of the message of Jesus Christ to transform people's lives. Power is powerful, absolutely. Wonderful signs from God. But the best of all is the power to change the minds and hearts and lives of unbelievers as we once were. To move us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. That is the power of God at work. Through the Spirit, they experienced the power of God. They understood the Word of God. They had real assurance and conviction of what's true. And this was so necessary because they weren't in a Christian culture. And many of them would ultimately lose their lives for following Jesus. And that means you have to have full assurance. This cannot be some weird hunch. Through the Spirit, they had joy in the midst of great suffering. Look at the next verse. And you became imitators of us and with the Lord with the joy, I love this, of the Holy Spirit. We don't create the joy. We don't focus hard enough and muster up enough joy to get through today. You know, as the week drags on and the week feels like it's six months long and you look and it's only Thursday and you're like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through this? I've just got to just muster it up and... Oh, I can do this. We can do this. That's not what, when the Holy Spirit fills you, you have joy. In the midst of the darkest circumstances, isn't that what we just learned last week in John 16? In the midst of the darkest circumstances that the disciples would ever walk through, Jesus says, hey, I give my, my joy to you. And if you understand what it means to abide in me, you can have joy overflowing. The circumstances had nothing to do with the joy in their heart. It has nothing to do with the joy in your heart. Our joy is dependent upon what we're trusting in. And this young church, through much affliction, had much joy. They were spirit-led. We closed last week's service with asking you, what is the counselor saying? What is the spirit saying? Normally, that means what through the word of God is jumping out. Is it something you need to confess? Is it something you need to change? Is it something that just encourages your heart? Is it the hope of the gospel that you hold even more tightly to as you leave here? What, what is it? And I would ask that same question, church. What is the Spirit leading us to do? The second picture is this one of family. Scripture uses this idea of a spiritual family. That's how I like to say. If I talk about our church, I don't say our church. I say our family of faith or or our faith family. And Scripture uses this picture of this extended family often. I I love this word family. In in Hebrews chapter 2, recording the words of Jesus, he says, I'm not ashamed, Jesus saying, to call them brothers and sisters. 
We are joint heirs, sons and daughters of the Father, the good Father God. We're part of God's family. We've been adopted in. Isn't that a beautiful picture that we are God's family? Ephesians 3 calls us the family in heaven and earth, the whole family. And I love this too. He goes on. I don't think I have this on the screen in Ephesians 3 where it's talking about us as a family. I want you to see the Spirit's involvement in every one of these pictures. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named, verse 15, verse 16 of Ephesians 3. You can just jot this down, maybe look this up later. That according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened, what? Through the power of his spirit inside of you. Such a beautiful picture that we're not just spirit-led. We're a spirit-led family, a faith family, a spiritual family. In, here in this text, he starts out like Paul, the apostle Paul does in many of his texts in, in verse 4. By calling them brothers, using this plural word, brothers, really meaning brothers and sisters. We give thanks to you, God, always remembering you before God. Verse 4, for we know brothers loved by God that he's chosen you. That you've been adopted, that you've been, your lives have been changed. He appeals to their identity, brothers and sisters loved by God. Over in chapter 2, we won't go there, in verse 11, Paul is going to continue to use this image of this spiritual family for, you know, he's talking about his time that he was there, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's a sermon just in and of itself, that we, we, we exhorted you. We're calling the best out of you, Paul says, as this spiritual family. We don't, just, we don't just coexist together and share meals together. No, there's real work to be done here. We exhorted each one of you, calling, calling not calling you out, but calling you up. Man, I know, I know you got some incredible things. In this, moms and dads, isn't what we do with our own kids? We, we try to call them up. We try, to, we try to exhort them, then we encourage them. How many of us, when our kids come just so encouraged home from school, they didn't make the grade they wanted to, they, you know, someone said something mean to them, and they're discouraged, and we, we, we encourage them. It's what a family does, that we, we exhort, we speak truth, but we also, we encourage. And then I love this, and we charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. This is that vision realignment piece. This is, the, this, is what, this is what we're doing. This is the soundtrack piece we've talked about before. The soundtracks that we're saying over and over. This is who we can be. This is what Paul says. You know, like a father with his children, we exhorted you and we encouraged, we taught you, we encouraged you, we comforted you, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's an incredible calling. And this is what we do in a spiritual family. Families are messy and they're beautiful. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the different stages of formation that all of us are in, seeking, adjusting, responding. Some of us stuck in that adolescent stage where we're just not growing. Then we move on to serving and multiplying and celebrating. And I use all this to say this. None of us in this room, whether you've been walking with God for a day or walking with God for 100,000 days, none of us are mature. None of us have reached the pinnacle. None of us can walk away from, 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 from Jesus teaching us. We're, we're, none of us are mature. Prayerfully, all of us are maturing. This is what we do in a family. We, we help each other grow. We point each other to the truth. We share burdens. We celebrate together. We weep together. Now, in our church, we do this mostly through a missional community environment. We're a spiritual family together. There's no way to live out the one another's of Scripture in a room like this. There's just no way to do it. We can't love each other. We can't prefer each other. I'm going to bring up um, Lindsay to talk about this. Lindsay's been in a missional community. We've called it all sorts of things. We, we, life groups and community groups. and um, Basically, uh, we changed the name to Missional Community because we want to be a part of the mission of God together. I've asked Lindsay to come and share. Come on up. Some of her... Right there. There you go. You can even take that. Okay. Go ahead. Am I good? Okay. Yep. So we, um, we, I guess this week when I was thinking about community groups, I was so excited to be here because they've been such a huge part of our life, just being, living with 
people every week, seeing them, um, hearing, I don't know, just stories. So I wanted to share a little bit of kind of our history. We started with Jason Tracy, I think, with them and community groups, and that's a great place to start. So a couple <laughs> years ago, um, we were with them, and then we started leading a group last year, I guess, during COVID, because our group's kind of split, and um, in a good way, it's a nice split. Um, but we were walking through a really tough season with one of our kiddos, and I was thinking back through how as we would meet every week, we were tired. I mean, we have four kids, and one of them has some significant challenges, I guess, but I thought back to what a blessing that group was to us in that season. Um, I remember one day we were with Sam. I remember him kind of saying, hey, I'm not a parent yet, which was great because they don't have kids. Well, they're about to have a baby. But um, him saying, hey, but I really think that this, and he just spoke this truth to us and to me. And it was kind of a dark, it was just a dark place for us. And I think I experienced kind of some, it was encouraging, but it was also some correction almost. Like, this is the truth. And like, it was just, I was just, I'm just so excited to be here now because it was such a blessing to us. Um, with that. So that was great. Cheyenne was always faithful to check in with us during the week. Um, she's like the best texter, encourager during the week, and that was such a blessing. Um, Chris and Mandy were in our group. They got it because they were living it, <laughs> like a lot of these challenges. Um, and then my sister was in our group, and she is my sister, but also just seeing her once a week in that context, like to pray and to send a random 20 bucks on Venmo, like buy yourself some coffee or a lunch to keep taking care of all these kids, um, which is a blessing. But it was just, just to see these people come together and like, did we always wanna show up? No, like it's, we're tired. Um, but I read something this week that said that when we get together in community, two things happen. We're saying that the gospel's true and mm. we're so quick to forget. Um, I'm just so quick to, I'll spend my time with God and then, you know, whatever happens during the day. And I, I forget, I forget how good he is. I forget that he forgives me and that he, he always, like, it's always good news. It's good news for me. Like, it's not just for the lost or, um, and so that's, that's the first thing that it's true. And second, that it's the best news in the world. Mm. Um, I think through our group, we would pray, um, once a month we would, I mean, all the time we were praying every time we gathered, but once a month we would pray specifically for who are you reaching out to? Like, who are you? Like, the missional push of that. Like, there should be some discomfort. Like, who are you? Where are you supposed to be stepping out? And so now, even now, like, I know who Cheyenne was praying for, and I know who Sam's praying for, and I know who my sister's hurting for, and I know who Chris and Mandy are reaching out to. And those people, I got to celebrate and rejoice when those people took steps toward faith, um, and they knew who I was praying for, and they were praying for them, and um, there are even, I mean, so many things that have happened that God answered. We walked through an incredibly difficult season together as a group, and God was just so faithful to lead us through that, and just to remind us over and over again. It's one thing to hear it up here, like that the gospel's good news, and that you, like, Jesus loves us so much, <laughs> but it's another thing for that to be around my kitchen table, or in my living room um, with people who I'm living right with all the time. Um, so now we're in a new community group, and I love it because we're already united by the most important thing, which is Christ. And so it's just so exciting to ask God to like knit us together. Um, we don't know each other well now, but I'm grateful that even in meeting for three weeks or so, I know who. I know who some of, have some of these new friends are praying for, and I know some of the things they're struggling with, and they know some of the things that I'm struggling with, and I already love them because it's just, I just love the family of God, like that he set it up that way. Like he gave us, it was so good to give us his word, and he gives us pastors, but then he gives us a family, like you said, um, to meet with every week. And um, so that's all the great stuff. Obstacles, this was one of the things they asked me to think about. Was it always a priority to us Probably not, we didn't grow up this way. Um, but I guess some of the obstacles are, we're tired, we're busy. As my friend Tracy likes to say, we're all busy and we're all tired. <laughs> and I love her for that. Um, so I think this is what God's commanded us in his goodness to be a part of. And we've just wrapped our lives around community. Mm. And 
it's been the biggest blessing just to see weary people. We're tired, we're sad, we're burdened, and we bring all of that to Tuesday night. And we just are who we are. Like, my cooking's not going to amaze anybody. My house is not going to be, I mean, none of that's going to be spectacular. But just to see what God does. Like, I can't create community. I can't create any of this. And to finally have a hold of that. Like, it's we show up, we confess our sins, we find healing, we just that we get to be together and live this life together. So we just, we love missional communities and it's just such a gift to us and to our family and just for what we've walked through and how we've seen God work. So join a missional community. I have so many more stories that I can't share right here, but ask me about them. I'd love to tell you about them. Awesome. I'll give it up for Miss Lindsay. Uh, her and Michael have like, uh, they have been uh, in the route and started many new ones. It's just been incredible. Um, we're a spirit-led family on mission making disciples. We're going to talk about that picture of discipleship first. I know it's not going sequentially in the phrase and that's driving some of you crazy. We're going to end with this idea of mission. Let's talk about disciples, spirit-led disciples. Now, to make the phrase kind of catchy, we didn't put disciples of Jesus Christ, but you kind of get that right inferred. And I only say that because we're all disciples of something. And it's really easy to attend church on a Sunday and not be disciples of Jesus. Because the rest of the, the week, the other six days, we're being discipled by the world and all of its voices. Again, the picture of me with the teenagers and we've spun them around and there's obstacles in front of them and there's a hundred people in the room, 90 of which are yelling them the wrong directions and hope that they fail. And this is what the enemy does to us. That he uses all the other voices. Remember his goal, the enemy's goal, is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And if he can't kill you, because God's not allowed him, and if he can't destroy you, he's certainly going to try to distract you from the most important things. Spirit-led disciples. I love this back in the passage in 1 Thessalonians in verse 6. Paul says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. This idea of making disciples isn't anything new. This is what Jesus commanded in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. The goal of discipleship, to be clear, is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Discipleship is not about being perfect, but it's about growing. Jesus didn't save us till we would fill our heads with theological knowledge. No, the point of salvation is that we would bear his image and we would be instruments of righteousness bringing the kingdom of heaven down to earth meaning as Jesus left and we talked about this last week it's better for me to go so that the spirit will come and fill you and then the ministry of the kingdom of God isn't just happening in the presence of Jesus where he's limited to but it is it is formed in and through the church the worldwide church and spread over the world we're meant to grow. God has made you part of his family. And as soon as he did that, he, uh, he gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit began molding you into the image of Jesus. This is why with those of true conversion, you can't enjoy sin like you used to. Because the Spirit of God is saying, no, 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 that's not best for you. 2 Corinthians 3, in a different letter the Apostle Paul wrote, to a different church. I love this passage. Maybe one of, I say this every week, one of my favorite. I love this. I memorized this when I was in high school. I just love it. And we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Transformed, that phrase, transformed into the image, the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. This is the work that God's doing us, transforming us into the image of Jesus, one degree of glory to another. When you're teaching your kids to, to feed themselves, when, you, when you're teaching your kids to potty train, don't you wish they would just get it? 
like one lesson and then boom, mastered that. It's probably embarrassing for Claire. I remember, not meaning to embarrass you, Claire, but I remember when Ashley decided to potty train Claire, and I, I don't know, she's under two years old. We're like driving, we're driving to, uh, to youth camp, and she starts the day before. We're in the process of moving over here. We don't even, we're not living in our own house. And I was like, babe, really? You got to start this now? She's like, well, you got to start sometime. And I was like, well, that's true. I don't know if this is the best time. And so a couple of days later, we're headed to youth camp. And of course, I'm bringing the whole family as we do. And they're following behind. And they have, they like moved one of the seats out of the car and put a toilet there. Because we got to drive like 10 hours. And there's other people in the car. How embarrassing is that, right? And like every 30 minutes, man, putting Claire on the toilet. You got a pee? Got a TT? Got a TT? You know, reward them, bribe them with Skittles and say TT. Maybe that's just us, bad parenting. Um, I just remember, I was like, this is so hard. All week of camp, we're like, and, and it's just not going well. And I mean, luckily she learned. Good job, Claire. You eventually, it's, but don't you sometimes wish they would just learn it and immediately they would get it? And that's just not how it works. That's not how discipleship works. That's not how you're conformed into the image of God. One degree of glory to the next. Little by little. Little sandpaper here. Take out a little whittling knife. Let's cut that. Let's cut that out. Ooh, that's not good. That's going to. Oh, that looks nothing like. My dad, my dad used to say that you can go about this process with sandpaper or with a chainsaw. But God is committed to forming you into the image of his son. Let, bring on the sandpaper. We don't want to hear that chainsaw crank up because we've been resisting what God's doing. This is what discipleship is. At this moment, every disciple of Jesus on the earth is being transformed. And none of us as quickly as we had hoped. From one degree of glory to the next, little by little. Here the text mentions that these, the, these young Christians were being discipled, certainly of the Lord. But I, I do like how he says it, that you became imitators of us. Sometimes we just need someone else to show us the way. Sometimes we need a good friend to point out our blind spots. Sometimes, because we can't see them. That's, that's why they're called blind. Sometimes we need a, we need a friend to, to put their arm around us and say, man, what are you doing? Come this way. We need our friends to ask hard questions. We need scripture to ask us the hard questions. We need someone that we can share our battles with and our secrets with. Someone safe that can drag, that we can be with and drag our sin into the light. Someone who's going to fan into flame our faith when we're weary and beat down. Someone who is going to come and get us out of the ditch when sometimes we make really poor decisions. Proverbs talk about this as iron, iron sharpening iron. So is a good friend who speaks truth to you, who loves you well, who puts up with all of, all of your junk but does not dare let you, leave you in it. That these disciples were being discipled by Paul and Silas and Timothy. And if you go on and read the whole thing, they learned some pretty incredible things there. They learned to suffer with joy. Just like some of the people that we have sent missionaries to, in Southeast Asia, when they, when they renounce animism or Buddhism or the things that they're following and they turn and serve and worship the one and true living God, they immediately get kicked out of their village, some of them do. Incredible hardship, incredible suffering. And yet you see this church, these young believers who Paul was only with for a short time, they are suffering these things with joy. You know why? Because they learn how to suffer with joy from looking at Paul and Silas and Timothy. Remember just... Paul and Silas in, in, in the Philippian jail, remember this? What are they doing? They're singing hymns out to God, suffering with joy. When most of us would have been looking at the lock, trying to figure it out, you know, researching you know, our constitutional, you know, right to this, and, and we would want to change the circumstance. We would want to do everything else. And Paul and Silas are just there like, well, I guess the Lord has us here for a reason. Let's just, let's sing how great thou art, you know. That wasn't really a hymn then. That was written much later. They learn how to suffer well. They learn how to invest in others. Again, and I love this in chapter 2 and verse 14. It says that they became imitators of the churches of God and Jesus Christ. They went and learned from the churches in Judea. How do we do this? We, Paul got kicked out pretty quickly. How, how does this actually work? And then they begin to even disciple others. 
The Thessalonians responded to the gospel. They became targets of persecution. And as they did, they weren't alone because that other churches had experienced the same thing. And they learned from those churches and became imitators of those men and women of how to suffer well. The problem with the Christian church in the West is that we see discipleship as the luxury for the super Christians and not the necessity that Jesus saw it as. If you're going to make it to the end, friend, you're going to be discipled. If not, you're just not going to make it. Or if you do, you're going to limp across. There's going to be no joy in you. I'm going to invite Emily up to talk about discipleship and her journey. Come on up, Emily. We got the, we got the sisters today. Emily, if you would talk about your journey in discipleship for a little bit. All right. I'm surprised this mic is my height because my <laughs> sister is taller than me. Um, <clears throat> discipleship has been one of the sweetest gifts in my life, especially over the past two years. But I will tell you this, it's scary <laughs> at times. And I think I've found that it's scary probably for two reasons. One, you're vulnerable and you're exposed. And that is so hard, but it is so good because although discipleship is costly, it doesn't have to be lonely and you don't have to do it alone, right? It's good. So when we expose our sin, yeah, I think our fear is maybe I'm too bad or maybe I'm too much. And to that, I would say, throw that away and let that go and don't let that be a hindrance because that type of fear of being vulnerable, that what, what a scheme of the enemy to keep you silenced and shackled to your sin and stuck. But that's not where God asks us to be, right? He asks us to be brave and to take that step. So that's one reason discipleship's kind of scary, right? The second reason, it's going to cost you something. That's kind of a heavy statement. Sure, you're like, oh, why would I want to do that now, right? But it's so good. It might cost you your time. It might cost you your energy. But what I've found is that it cost me my heart. And although it stinks to have to let go of some of these things, I would not trade that because I've seen God do crazy things when I decided that his will was better than mine. Mm. And I don't do that perfectly, and I don't do that every day. <laughs> so that's why discipleship is also important, right? In my life, I have grown in my faith. I have grown in my prayer life because I have seen through the women in my discipleship group that God is alive and active and moving in crazy ways today because we took the time to make the investment in discipleship and to pray, which is our greatest asset because God is so near when we do that, when we become vulnerable and we decide that it is worth it. So just an example is two weeks ago, you know, I mean, my, my friends in my group have seen me ugly cry week after week <laughs> as God is plowing up this ground of my heart. Um, they've seen me sob at my kitchen table, and then they've seen me laugh hysterically, and we've rejoiced together in the same respect, right? They've seen the gamut, um, but what I have learned is your feelings are fleeting. If you're a little uncomfortable, that will pass. If I'm a little sad, that'll pass. Your feelings are fleeted and they can't always be trusted, right? But what we can trust is the word of God and the word of others. So two weeks ago, I was really wrestling with, oh, I don't know if God's doing this or this and I'm having trouble discerning and I thought I wanted that, but again, my feelings are fleeting, right? So maybe I don't really want that. And my friend had been praying that she would hear the whisper of God and be bold enough to speak on it when he said something. And so that day, she had literally prayed that, you know, three minutes earlier. And um, when I'm going, I don't know about my life, she's like, hey, I just heard God say this and here. And I think our minds were just blown because in a five or 10 minute span, God answered the prayer of two people through discipleship, through prayer, and through listening. So here's the thing. Man, discipleship will catch on like wildfire when God's people decide that it's worth it. 
Um, and it sounds big, and I'm, maybe I just made it sound really scary and hard, but <laughs> it's really good, I promise, um, <clears throat> because it's simple, and it's not as big as you might think. You listen, you trust, you obey, and you take one step. One of the women in my group, she knew God asked her to be a little uncomfortable, to take one step, and to go get some ice cream with a girl from a youth group that she had kind of met. She asked this teenager to go. She was a little uncomfortable, but it was good. And it turned into a discipleship relationship. They began to talk about what God was doing, to pray with one another, to read the Bible. But then something else happened, is it morphed into this teenage girl going, hey, I wanna start a Bible study for other girls in our youth group, will you help me? And my friend did. And there were so many youth that showed up. Take that one step further, okay? There's another younger underclassman who's sitting under this older teenager that my friend discipled. And so this younger classman goes, but hey, what about when you leave for college? We can't stop this. We need this. This is good. We need the word of God. And this teenager my friend was discipling said, don't worry. I will teach you how to do this. So look, it catches on when it's real and when it's good. And when we trust God, it will always be good. Um, so here's my, I guess, encouragement for you as a person myself who was hesitant to even be in a discipleship relationship or to do that is that I don't know the people that you know and you don't know the people that I know. And this girl who, you know, was working with this teenager who's now working with all these other teens doesn't even go here. She just happened to be in my circle. So you are needed. Mm, that's good. We've got to have you because we're depending on you and other people in your life that only you know, they're depending on you. So I would encourage you, be a little uncomfortable, take one simple step and just ask God today to soften your heart toward discipleship and to give you the boldness and the courage to seek that out in your life. He's not gonna, he will equip you to do every good thing that he asked you to do according to his will. Mm -hmm. Trust him. So, if you have questions or want to talk about discipleship, you can find me. I'll be here. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. I'll give it up for her. Hey, before we move to the next picture, uh, we do this in our church mainly through an environment of a discipleship group, and we have several of those going on, and we've got several people that have been trained to do that and fixing to start that. If you're leading a DG or have been trained to lead a DG or about to start a DG, will you just stand real quick? I just want to say a quick prayer over you. Those that are leading discipleship groups, been trained to lead discipleship groups, starting new groups, okay, several of them. Um, let me just say a quick prayer over you guys. God, thank you for these men and women, uh, even for some of the teenagers. I pray, Lord, that you would equip them um, to be salt and light in these relationships, help them to hear from you, not to speak on their own accord, but to hear from you and to point everything back to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I want to say thanks for that. Um, you can tell I love, uh, you can tell Emily's a counselor by trade because she is like, here's the truth and in the sweetest way I can tell it to you. It's so great. Thank you, Emily and Lindsay. The last picture is missionary. Let's get to that. We're a spirit-led family on mission. In John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, peace, I, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And that was not the only time. Jesus had used this word over 40 times in the Gospel of John alone of sending people out. This is the nature of God. This is, this is the nature of God. As he calls us in, he names us, gives us identity, gives us purpose, and sends us out. He did it with Abraham. Hey, come on in, Abraham. I'm going to do this incredible thing. I'm going to even change your name. Now I want you to go. We're going to make a nation. And every excuse he had, the Lord just kind of like, nope, I'm going to do it. Just watch. I'm going to do it. And he did it. He did it with Moses. As he calls him into the burning bush. And then he says, now I want you to go and go to Egypt. I've got a task for you to do. He did it with Isaiah. As Isaiah sees the Lord, 
and then God sends him out to go. God never calls us radically in without sending us radically out. That is exactly the nature of God. We serve a missionary God. Now, when we use this term mission, what we're really meaning is that we are God's missionary people. We are God's missionary people. God, in the form of Jesus, came to be with us, left, and then we are now the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. We're God's missionary people. And you would ask, well, Luke, how would you explain that? Well, Jesus explained it this way in Matthew 25. When he gave this illustration about a, a master, uh, a business owner, a wealthy man who had lots of money and an agenda for the business was going to go on a trip and he brought his servants in. If you remember this, this is a parable of talents and to one servant he gave this amount and other servants he gave this amount, other servants he gave this amount. And he said, now go carry, carry out the father's business, the master's business. And so they would go and then when he came back, he gave an account and said, okay, tell me how you did. That is the nature that God has entrusted every one of us with his resources, with his money and his talent and the relationships, all the things, the Holy Spirit within us. And he has sent us radically out to carry on the mission of God. And what is the mission of God? God's heart was for the last, the lost, and to the least. That we would be ministers of reconciliation, connecting God and his heart for people as an intercessor as a minister of reconciliation, that's what we would be. That's why he calls us sometimes to really hard places, to really dark places, to really difficult things. So that we could be a minister of reconciliation to the last, the lost, and to the least. To the last. When I hear that word, I think about the last people who would ever hear the gospel. And some of them might live around you, but most of them live far from here. That's why we have a, a, just a real heart for missions in the and the classical understanding of it where we want to pray for, we want to equip, we want to partner with, we want to send out people to go to the ends of the earth, to the last people who would ever hear, understand, or know the gospel. The last. God has such a heart for the last. Such a heart when we see the end in Revelation. We see this picture of every dialect and every language around the throne of God. God has such a heart for the last. God has such a heart for the least. In my mind, the least of these, these are, these are the people that live in poverty, that don't know if they're going to make it through today with a the, with, with the hot meal. This, this is one of the reasons we've partnered with the hub. And I know I've heard some of your excuses. I'm not, you know, not going to feed them. I know what they do with their time all week. Listen, this, Jesus said, hand a cup of cold water in my name. It's not even about them. It's about the heart of God being expressed through us. This is, this is literally what it is. Those are the least. And, you know, we serve the hub. My group's serving tonight. We got lots out of town. So if you want to come help my group serve tonight, come on. We're going to do it. Every time I get ready to go, it's 4.15. I'm like, oh, I need to leave. It's time for the hub. And I'm not even cooking all the stuff. Matt cooks all the stuff. All I have to do is show up and serve and be the hands and feet of Christ. But, man, it's such a hard time at 4.15 on a Sunday. And now, you know, the Cowboys are playing today. Or whatever other excuse you would ever throw in there. Serving the least of these will never be easy. But it is the heart of God. And every time I'm there and I'm serving, it's never, it has never not happened that someone doesn't come up to me. And it's so good for my heart to hear and say, hey, I want to say thanks for taco soup today. If you didn't show up, I wouldn't have eaten today. In a, in a real humble attitude. And I'm like, God, thank you for getting me off the couch in here today. We serve the last, we serve the least, and we serve the lost. This isn't just a club for everybody who gets it. We serve the lost. This is why we're here, to, be, to bring the good news. This, I, I love this even in this, in this passage. Let's get to this passage, and then, uh, Jeff, I'm going to call you up in just a, a minute or two. In verse 7, it says that they had become examples to all of Macedonia and Achaia and all those who believe. Paul and Silas was an example to them. The Judean church was an example to them. And then they became examples to others. And that's exactly what Emily was just talking about, how discipleship works. To all Macedonia and Achaia, which, you know, is, is their outer surrounding area, Macedonia and Achaia, they needed examples too, and the Thessalonians supplied that need. This was true even though they'd only been following Jesus just a short time. 
Friends, we always need others who's going to show us how to follow Jesus beyond the need of hearing it. How do you live it out? But I love this. It goes further. It's not just, man, everyone around you has kind of, kind of, heard, of heard of you guys. Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord, and I don't know if you take notes, you might underline that word, sounded forth. It's an incredible word. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere that we need not even say anything. So as Paul's planting all these churches, he goes to this new thing, and he's like, oh, man, let me tell you how, how God is moving in, uh, in, in Thessaloniki. There's the word again. Isn't that a cool word? Let me tell you how, how amazing. You know, God's doing this incredible work in Thessaloniki. I'm like, oh, oh, we know them. They've already been here. Wait, what? Oh, you mean the disciples that you, yeah, the, the church at, at Thessaloniki? Yeah, they've, they've already sent church planters here. They beat Paul there. And the word of their faith sounded forth. I love this. It's this picture of this like being right next to this guy who's about to blow a trumpet. And it's just kind of ringing in your ears. That's the kind of faith that this young church had. They had only been disciples for a couple months, but they got it. It wasn't about them or the holy huddle. It was to be in you the love of God. You would inhale the love of God and you would exhale. You would go and love on others just as he loved you. It sounded forth. Jeff, come on up. Paul said, your faith is toward God has gone out, so we do not need to say anything. We need faith to go out so that our faith towards God would go out to the whole world. This is so tough to do alone. That's why Paul writes this letter to a group of people. I'm going to ask Jeff come up. Jeff is one of our elders. He's done this so good. Just about, you don't have to recreate the new thing here. You can view your own workplace through a missional lens. And Jeff has seen this at work. So Jeff, tell us how you've seen God at work in this, and then I'm going to come back up and just wrap up this. Yeah, about, uh, let me fix this a little. About four or five years ago, I worked for a, a railroad here. And um, out of a time when, um, I'm going to say I was just kind of disconnected from the vine. You know, I was a branch just out there on my own. And... Um, Jesus kind of brought me back in as he's always there for us. Wherever we leave him, he's always there when we come back, right where we left him. Well, he had told me to start a uh, prayer time at this railroad. It was a very dark place, very uh, demonic place to me. And so I did. I started a, a 1 o'clock. We had a 1 o'clock break, and I started this uh, prayer time at 1 o'clock. And uh, three or four guys wanted to do it. I talked to them. They wanted to do it with me. But over about two years, this thing built up from about four people to about more than 13 or 14 guys. And through that, I saw um, a young man get saved through that time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I saw his marriage repaired. God had repaired his marriage through all this praying for these folks and then it opened a door for discipleship that even I found out when I uh, was praying with all these men that it also opened the door for me to disciple those men at work and to point them to Jesus and, and it was good uh, a couple of years went by and I, and I moved jobs I changed jobs and uh, God moved me to Christus Highland and uh, I took that same um, idea that God had gave me at KCS and brought it to Christus Highland and I don't know I can't tell you how many people um, that I've got to pray with at Christus Highland because there's nurses I've prayed with doctors and nurses and people that just come and unload life is heavy life has gotten to them and they'll just come I don't know how God does it I don't and they come, and I get to point them to Jesus. And I don't know how many times, because we know Jesus brings peace to every circumstance and every situation that you can go through. He's going to bring peace to that. And it's when we disconnect from him is when there's no peace. Because you're not doing what he's called you to do. So through that, just praying for people, even this week, you know, three people. And God just brings people to me because I desire that. I desire to pray for people and just to point them to Jesus. And 
just being here and being at Covenant for the last, you know, almost 11 years have taught me that. And I've been around some great guys praying. I'll never forget um, when we first came uh, here, we met uh, Thomas and Donna Ballard, and we went to eat dinner with them one night. And uh, we got through a dinner, went to their house, and the first thing Thomas said was, hey, since you're here, we might as well do some praying together. <laughs> and so, you know, even with Thomas, you know, I've just been around some great men of prayer. And uh, that's just helped me along the way. Mm. And God wants us all to do that at our jobs. He wants us to go out, proclaim the gospel, yeah, give people the good news. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Jeff, so much. Y'all get up for Jeff. Every week we meet as elders, and Jeff's always telling us a story, let's, which is so good. Let's pray for Cody, his, you know, his wife's intubated with COVID, or this nurse, or this thing, or people he, meet in the, he meets in the doctor's office, or somebody that ran into his truck one time. It's just always these incredible friends. God will give you, all of us, he'll give us those open doors if we'll ask him for it. We just don't ask him. We just don't, we just don't approach work that way. We pro, most of us, are, let me just get in and get through with it and, and whatever it is. But if you'll ask God for some divine appointments, even tomorrow as you work, I promise you he'll give them to you. Now, then you, then you, then you have to walk through them with courage and boldness. Let me, let me wrap up this way. We're going to look at the card here in a minute. But um, I want to borrow these words from Paul. It's, I finished this whole sermon, and then this morning I'm reading this, and this, this just literally jumps off the page. Look back at verse 3. Let's look at these words from Paul. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It just surmises all of it that we would live by faith. Isn't this the Spirit's work? We would live by faith that we would be known by our love. If I can be honest, there's been days when I, and I've even asked Ashley, like, babe, can we just quit this? It's been 11 years, it's been hard. Some of you are a real joy to pastor. A lot of you are not a joy to pastor. If we can be honest, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the joy pastor, I get it, it's, it's fine. But I think about, you know, what, what would our city be if Covenant just wasn't here anymore? I think about this image of some people at Starbucks and, you know, they're, somehow a Covenant Church comes up and someone says, hey, what, whatever happened to Covenant Church? Oh, it, it got hard and they quit. It, get, it got hard and they quit. And that just, that makes me weep to think about this has been a hard year. It's been hard on me. It's been hard on you. It's been hard on our teachers, hard on our medical professionals, hard on our business. It's been a hard year. But now's not the time to quit. Now's the time to press in. What, what did Paul tell the Galatian church? Do not grow weary of doing good. Because when you endure, you will reap the harvest at due time. I love that verse. Do not grow weary in doing good, but if you endure, church, covenant, if we endure, if we continue to plow the soil, to water it even, as the psalmist says, with our tears at time, in due time, we will reap a harvest of righteousness. What a beautiful verse. That we would be known by a people that live by faith, that are known for our love for each other, for sure, and for those outside of our walls. And that we would be a voice of hope. Man, if our world needs hope ever, it's now. The voice of hope. If you get at your card, we're not going to do communion today, but I do want to know what God's doing in your heart. So we talked about a lot of things today, and these are some big needs even in our church on this list. And Phil's going to come up, and he's going to just play kind of in the background. I just want you to really do business with God and ask him, Lord, what step of faith are you calling me to take? Maybe your step's not even on here. You're just going to put it in the bottom. Maybe you got a prayer request, something heavy on your heart. 
Maybe God's already shown himself to you, and you, you know you've got to have that conversation with a friend or a neighbor. You just write that. Would you pray for me as I follow God? Would you pray for me as I talk to Lindsay or Frank? Or, or what, would, you, would you pray for me? If you put your name and in, in info at the top so we could follow, we, we really just want to encourage you, help you take steps. But a couple things on here. One, the hub. One of our 10 and 10 goals was to really befriend some people at the hub and help them take a step from homelessness into having a job and having a home, restored identity and purpose. We've been privileged to do that before with our friend Jesse, and um, we want to do more of those. And we got a training actually in two weeks at 9 o'clock. We're going to start early 9 o'clock to like 10.15. We're going to be equipped um, to move further into the VIP ministry there at the hub. We walk with people in poverty to a restored life. And maybe you say, listen, I'm already in. I am serving. I'm, I'm serving my shoes off there already. This is just incredible. Maybe you would just check that. I'm already in. Or I want to go deeper. I, I want somebody to call me and tell me, what are, what are some ways that I can go deeper? I can pray about going deeper or just more information. And then discipleship. You heard uh, Emily talk about discipleship. Maybe you're not in a discipleship group. Now, the vehicle we have is a DG, but you don't even have to be in a DG. Just have someone who's committed, you're committed to walking through Scripture together and being truthful with each other. That's, that's really all it is. Maybe you'd want to be in one of our DGs. We'd love to help you, connect you to some of that. Maybe you'd say, uh, I'm already in, I'm already in a DG, it's thriving. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe it's time for you to be a leader of a DG. So you know what, God's been stirring in my heart. You would just, man, I want to go a little deeper there. I want more information. The missional communities, what Lindsay talked about, us living our lives as spiritual, a spiritual family. Again, the kind of the same steps. And then stewardship. This is that Matthew 25 thing I talked about, the resources. As a church, again, this has been a difficult season for us. We're several thousand dollars behind where we need to be fully funded to, funded to resource our ministries. And if you want to step up there, I'm already in, I'm already giving. Maybe you want to give more. I'm going to, give, I'm going to go deeper here. You want more information. It's not about the card necessarily, but I've always found that when I, when I actually put a pen to some paper, it's like, it's a step I take. And I, I know some of you are going to need a little time to process some of this. We're going to email this thing out tomorrow, I think, and you'll have the time to pray for it. But I want to pray for you right now, and then we're going to worship together. Just as the early church would, we would stand and we would sing for the gratitude in our hearts for God. God, I pray for these people. I pray, God, that you would do an incredible work in and through us. Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, have spoken to us through your word today. That we would be people of faith. We would live by faith. We would be known by our love. And we would be a voice of hope. For those in the room that aren't part of the family of God, I... Holy Spirit, I pray you begin speaking to their hearts. I know you are. I, I pray they would take a step of faith. If that's you in this room, would you just maybe mark that or write that at the bottom? I'd like to know more about Jesus. Your step of faith is to become part of his family today. To renounce all the other things you've tried to find fulfillment and identity and satisfaction and push your chips to the middle of the table and go all in on Jesus. He's the hope we so desperately need. Maybe these others, even like myself in some way, that you've just grown apathetic, just distant. It's just everything you can do to get through the day in your own strength. And my appeal to you is to stop doing it in your own strength. Invite Jesus in as a teacher, as a nurse, in your job. Invite Jesus in. Lord, I, I thank you for your goodness to us. I pray for your people that we would respond in obedience. Lord, I pray that as your spirit works in us, we could be like this church in Thessaloniki. That, Lord, that the good news would have sounded forth from us to the world. That one day I'll meet someone up on the streets of heaven from Southeast Asia and we'll figure out that they're there because some people in Bozier City gave extravagantly, prayed radically, 
gave generously, that we would send missionaries to the other side of the world to bring the good news. That we'd meet people that were in poverty and got out of it and got a job and just didn't have their felt needs met, but even way more than that, that they heard the gospel and they saw the gospel. and They'd be in heaven one day because some people in this room decided that they would radically serve and generously give and consistently pray. Lord, we want your vision. Lord, this, this is no time for the church to play games. And Lord, you know my heart. I'm not in it if we're playing religious games. Lord, we want to live on that redemptive edge with you. Lord, do in our hearts what you need to do. Stir up our affections as you need to. Convict us of sin. Encourage us where we're weak. Heal us where we're broken. And that we would bring all of that to you as a sacrifice of praise, even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand, and we're going to sing. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. If you turn your, those cards in, there'll be baskets at the back on your way out later.